these breaches um, usually occur due to not lack of process or smarts or, or capability. It's often a, uh, a person or a, um, a function of the business sidestepping a process or a piece of technology. Um, and then when you sort of have to analyze, well, why would somebody do that? It boils down to, in my opinion, culture in the organization. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Dane Mia, CEO and co-founder from MySizo. And today we're discussing Dane's thoughts on the recent Australian breaches. So Dane, thanks for joining. Uh, I know there's definitely been quite a few in the last few weeks in particular. So I'm keen to get your thoughts. So maybe start with that. What uh, what are your thoughts on all these Australian breaches happening at the moment? Great. Thanks for having me, KB. Um, yeah, it's certainly, been, it's certainly been very busy, hasn't it? Um, but realistically, you know, we're hearing about a lot more of the breaches of recent times, but we have to bear in mind, um, you know, breaches occur on a regular basis. And, you know, what you're hearing, what you're seeing about is really only the tip of the iceberg. Um, but, you know, certainly not to be downplayed at all and um, something we should take uh, heed in and uh, take any learnings from. Um, from. From my perspective, you know, having analysed some of the publicly known breaches, you know, the likes of Optus, uh, Medibank, Woolworths, et cetera, one of the interesting observations is that none of those breaches were particularly indefensible or amazingly sophisticated. Um, so I kind of have to ask why are these breaches occurring, particularly with businesses, you know, in this case, quite large, quite often sophisticated in the defenses that they have um, with the resources and the, and the smarts to, to, you know, have the best of the best. So you kind of have to go back and ask, well, why, why are the breaches occurring? Again, looking at the breaches, they're not, you know, particularly sophisticated or um, type of an attack that not be preventable. So, um, yeah, you know, I've certainly drawn some conclusions from that and, and you know, I'm forming an opinion as more and more information comes about what happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting because, like, all of a sudden it was, like, the Optus and there was, like, Woolworths and then Telstra and then, like, Medibank. Like, it almost feels that it was an organised... Um, like all the criminals got together and was like, okay, we're just going to attack this company, this one, and this one. Like I, I've never personally seen it like this in the Australian market. We're hearing about a lot more breaches and um, certainly has put boards and uh, the government on high alert. Um, and it's not to be downplayed, as I said earlier. Having analysed the breaches, that question, you know, quite often there was a, a, de- a lapse of defence at some stage of the, uh, the attack chain, be that. You know, in the case of um, Optus, you know, we've read a lot about the exposed APIs and how that was um, accessible through an unauthenticated communication. You know, that's really 101 for many organizations um, and, you know, it would have been part of the process that I dare say would have existed for for Optus, just to call out as a specific example. So it's not uh, a lack of process uh, necessarily that caused that breach to occur. My my Optimization is that these breaches um, usually occur due to not a lack of process or smarts or, or capability. It's often a uh, 
person or a, um, a function of the business sidestepping process or a piece of technology. Um, and then when you sort of have to analyze, well, why would somebody do that? It boils down to, in my opinion, culture in the organization. To, do you prioritize speed of doing business, bringing new features into your application or you know, sharing information uh, or using apps that appear to be you know, more um, effective for the use case? You know, many, there's many reasons why you might you know, make a shortcut in the security process but it boils down to culture, culture across your supply chain, end users, um, your development functions, uh, the culture of you know really caring and being bought into the need for everybody in the business uh, and the supply chain to take decisions that are going to ensure the protection of data um, of those critical assets, the you know, personally identifiable information or you know, credit card numbers, etc. So that, that has at a high level been my summarization of what, what's occurred. And um, of course, culture is not an easy fix. There's been uh, uh, many books written about creating culture, and I'm sure there'll be many more written. Um, and, um, you know, in my opinion, it boils down to leadership um, values in the business and also getting buying into the program, whether or not it's done from a cybersecurity, um, you know, driven from cybersecurity or ideally driven from the business leadership itself. And I think that's probably one of the positive things that we've seen from the recent uh, rise in breaches is that business leaders now, CEOs and the executive teams are now aware of the cyber risk and everybody's taking it upon themselves to make sure that you know it's not their department or it's not um, a cause of the leadership that's resulting in those breaches occurring. Yeah, great point. So there's a couple of things that, you, as you were speaking, what was coming up in my mind, you raised a, a point about boards are on high alert. Is there anything that you're sort of hearing in your network or perhaps with customers that you work with that people are sort of saying to you that may, may be a little bit of a theme that you're sort of seeing? Or Yes, definitely. So um, through my business, my SISO, um, speaks to a lot of SISOs, um, Chief Information Security Officers, about you know what? What are they hearing? How has it impacted their business in the recent times? Um, what I've seen as a, a trend is a request from boards to have a update on where the business is at from a cybersecurity perspective. Um, and these are important questions boards should be asking of the business and of, of the CIOs and CISOs. Um, so that's one one question. And then, of course, um, to be able to answer that question comprehensively. Um, it really boils down to how are you measuring your security posture? Um, what ways are you testing the strength of those defences? How do you how can you uh, provide assurance that your environment is um, uh, secure from cyber attack? So, and that's often the conversations that we get drawn into to help an organisation, you know, perform assessments of their security posture aligned to you know frameworks like ISO twenty seven thousand and one. Uh, NIST, Essential Eight, and so on. So, um, yeah, those are those are the sort of recommendations that we make. But you know, generally, we're hearing CISOs now um, kind of not necessarily scramble, but um, those that maybe don't have a good handle on um, exactly where they're at, um, and they're looking to perform assessments to identify the critical controls, things like MFA, um, obviously strong password security, good um, or training for end users. 
making sure these types of controls are in place, activated on all the systems that could house, you know, critical data. Yeah, that is interesting because it just seems all of a sudden uh, the board sort of turned to their size or head of security or whoever saying like, are we covered? So do you think that now the recent breaches is a catalyst to people sort of checking up on their security? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but the, the practical practicality of uh, answering that question comprehensively is for a lot of businesses, you know, are you ever covered? You know, can you, can you say for a certain that you're going to be able to stop a cyber attack and the reality is no um so you know really it's about doing the basics well um you know over the past decade i've met you know hundreds and hundreds of businesses and in some cases you know we've seen businesses that have have every well-known you know vendor top you know top end tier one vendor known to man in their stack they've all of the same technologies all of the edge technologies all of the data protection technologies but really good security um, maturity boils down to more than just having the tech. It you know, boils down to also having process technology uh, and a management structure that's going to manage and support that whole environment continuously. So that's why um, you know, it boils down to more than just having uh, the tech in place and the, the, the likes of ISO 27001 um, you know, really critical uh, to seeing where you're at on a holistic basis. And of course, there are other more comprehensive frameworks as well. Um, but, um, you know, that's kind of what we're recommended for businesses that not just for pr- providing uh, board assurance, you know, the, the, the big, um, one of the biggest challenges at the moment is cyber insurance. You know, cyber insurance uh, market has grown enormously over the past decade. but Today, many businesses finding out uh, to their surprise that they're uninsurable. Um, and why is that? Well, cyber insurance is um, also affected by the rise in breaches because those underwriters are now uh, having to make huge payments out to businesses for breaches. So the cyber insurance uh, providers are standing back and saying, well, we need to see a level of maturity that makes us comfortable that you're not going to have a breach. And again, what does that boil down to? It boils down to having a maturity assessment more or less aligned to a commonly known framework like NIST or ISO 27001. Um, And not to bang the drum too much, but um, those kind of maturity frameworks is really where we need to all get very comfortable with the vernacular um, and what are the critical components of those. And then gradually mature our environment aligned to a yeah, a structured framework like that. Um, yeah, so in terms of cyber insurance, though, it, it is an evolving market. And the way that I've, um, uh, you know, I'm hearing from cyber insurers that we're, we've spoken to in recent times is businesses are broadly aligned into two key categories. You, you have uh, on the one side businesses that assess their security posture uh, aligned to a proper framework. You ha- uh, they assess and manage their risk, uh, and they can demonstrate an improvement plan uh, that may mean they're not perfect, but they're improving over time. You know, that's the good bucket. Those are the, the, the companies that cyber insurers want to insure. Um, but even those, what we're hearing is that even those will see an increase of between 10 and 50% in their insurance premiums. But then the other bucket, so the, the, the businesses that are not running and 
very tight ship in terms of security management. Maybe they don't operate to a framework and they don't test their risk on it for cyber on a regular basis, and they don't or they can't demonstrate a improvement plan. You know what we're hearing is increases of between three to five hundred percent. Um, or in one um, one third of cases, they won't be insured, is what we're hearing. So, you know that that paints a pretty dire picture for organisations who, you know, have held the view that well, we have cyber insurance for that. And a couple of years ago, I was hearing starting to hear that more and more, where we might not have the best defences, but we have cyber insurance. I think those organisations are going to have a bit of a rude awakening when they when they have neither. Strong defense is all cyber insurance pretty soon. Okay, I want to get into the cyber insurance because this is interesting and I really want to hear your thoughts. But before we do that, I just want to go back a step. Now, you're absolutely right. Um, it's hard to answer like, are we covered? It's not so binary, like yes or no. But what would be what would be sort of the, the response from a board if a CISO or head of security said like, actually, no, we're in a really bad place? Would that sort of rattle balls a little bit? Like, because everyone wants to hear, like, yes, we're covered or we're somewhat covered um, the best that we can be. But what if someone said, like, no, actually, we're not? Um, maybe this is your sort of time now to start maybe listening to what me as a security person has to say. Have you ever heard of cases like that in your experience so far? That would be the majority of cases, um, surprisingly. Um, and in often case, from organizations that are taking cyber seriously, it's actually the organizations that uh, are running cyber well um, are the ones that are communicating that message. And, you know, it's really for two reasons. One, as I said earlier, we can't be um, uh, in a position or we can't believe that we're in a position of um, complete defense and um, safety when it comes to cyber. Uh, that's the first point. So it, you would be presenting a, the wrong impression if you said we're good. Um, but conversely, um, uh, you know, because of that, we, we, you would want to really flag where you are weak and what the risks are. Um, I think the boards are asking questions not because they necessarily want to feel good, but they want to understand where the risks are. So uh, I can think of two examples recently where we've had this conversation and uh, the feedback to the board was, this is what we've got, but we're by no means secure um, and, you know, the risks are X, Y, and Z. Um, and what that allows the board to do is make a decision about, you know, do we want to invest? Do we, how much do we want to invest to address the gaps that have been presented to us? Um, the organisations that are sharing, saying we're good, um, you know, you know that, I think that that's a false sense of security and, you know, wouldn't be in the majority of cases. So I'm hearing more businesses actually want to communicate the risks and um you know ultimately uh you know the old saying never let a good crisis go to waste is probably true in this case as well that look we've been we've had a shot across the bow we're seeing cyber incidents occur at an increasing rate let's jump ahead of, let's get ahead of the curve before it happens to us that's that's the message that should be going to the boards in in most cases i would say yeah, and I absolutely think that that's why they're triple checking their backs and really asking those hard questions because no one wants to be next. So I, okay, I really want to get into this cyber insurance. Now, you've probably seen people on the internet for, against, where do you sit on the cyber insurance side of things? Now, I know it's sort of evolved over the last few years, but I'm really keen to hear your thoughts. 
Well, it's like any insurance. It's, um, you know, cyber is a risk. Um, whether it's being uh, a victim of crime and, a bur- you know, someone breaking into your building and uh, causing damage or, you know, stealing assets, it's exactly the same for cyber. Um, for, for the past several years, you know, I, as I just mentioned, there were some concerns that it was being used in lieu of having strong defences. You know, kind of like having a uh, an insurance policy for your car, but then driving recklessly or you know leaving the, leaving the car unlocked in dodgy neighbourhoods. You know, no one would recommend doing that. Um, it's only going to hurt you in the long term. Um, so my view on cyber insurance is, um, uh, you know, to avoid uh, some catastrophic impact to your business in terms of cost, downtime. Uh, ability to manage or handle a response. Um, cyber insurance is absolutely necessary, um, but it should be coupled with strong uh, cadence in terms of measuring where you're at in terms of security maturity, because that's what the insurers want to know, but also demonstrating an improvement plan that you can you know, share with, potentially share with the cyber insurer that's going to give them the comfort that you're uh, in the good bucket, so to speak, and you're one of the clients they want to insure, and it just will come through with lower insurance premiums. And there's some, um, uh, speaking to some cyber insurers directly recently who, you know, are sort of interested in uh, the MySizer application for their clients, but speaking to them, the money that you save on your premiums alone would go a long way to, towards paying for the uplift in your environment so you know it's time insurance isn't cheap any few thousand dollars up to big as you like hundreds of thousands of dollars for an organization and more that money can can easily be offset by the reduced number of breaches or incidents that might occur but also the money you will save in reduced premiums can be um, demonstrated through improving your posture so that you, you become more insurable if that makes sense yeah sure no that makes perfect sense why do you think people in the industry, though, are like pretty against it? Like I, like I said, I've heard both sides. Um, there are definitely practitioners out there that are just really against it. Yeah, because it, maybe it's um, uh, maybe there's some aversion to people profiting from, uh, you know, from an emerging problem. I don't know, but yeah, certainly I've not come across that. You know, during the formative years of cyber insurance, uh, perhaps there was a view that. How good was the cover? There were some, some rogue policies out there that uh, you know wouldn't pay if there was an incident. And really, that kind of boils down to ensuring you understand your risk. You know, start with understanding your risk. Understand what types of incidents would have uh, greatest impact on your business, and then you know go and ask those questions to your insur- cyber insurer. Um, and then you're not in a situation where you've paid for something and you feel like you haven't received the benefit when you needed it. But you know, going back to your question, why do people dislike cyber insurance? I don't know. <laughs> it's, I've not heard that one myself. Yes, well, I guess you're not Nostradamus. You don't have all the answers to these questions. So, okay, I'm really curious now that you made a comment, uh, are we adequately addressing cyber? Now, I probably know the answer to this, but I'm keen to get your thoughts on how do we adequately address cyber in the market? Yeah, sure. It's the million dollar question, of course. So um, I won't claim to have the answer for that one either. But, um, you know, breaking it down, 
you know, whether you make widgets or, you know, provide services or whatever, um, that's first and foremost what you have to do. So cyber has to fit into that, it has to be supported, play a supporting role to you doing business. So whether that's, um, you know, you have a critical machine in your factory floor, which if it goes down could cause major problems, you know, or whether your business is online, you know, it's, you have to kind of build your defenses around a, what you can afford, but B, um, where your key risks are. So my kind of suggestion for any uh, IT leader is, first of all, um, understand where they're at in terms of security. Once you've understand your maturity, understand your risk, identify the, the improvements that are going to have the greatest impact. That means that you're, you're focusing less of your um, budget on things that don't really have an impact. Um, so that that's my kind of key key thing is how do you identify which of those critical controls, security controls that are going to have the best impact on uh, mitigating risk in your business? And look, there's several ways that you can do that, but you know that that's how we address the cyber. Um, not necessarily going to guarantee to stop a breach, um, but you know if we focus on basics, we focus on things like the essential eight first, and you know, even before the essential eight, looking at what are your critical assets, critical devices and your crown jewels, building your defenses around uh, those first. I think that's, um, you know, I think that's kind of 101 in cybersecurity. And of course, um, you know, it, with, with any improvement plan, it's making sure you've got the basics right first. You know, if you're just starting out in your, you know, security journey, you know, don't kind of go and think, right, we need to implement a SOC or a theme. You know, there's, there's going to be a, a ton of work that you can do probably within technology that you've already got, like your firewalls, uh, like your Microsoft stack, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't have to be super, super expensive. Often cases, getting the basics done really well and then, you know, incrementally improving um, based on where, what's going to have the greatest thing. So do you think people do basics well? Because, again, I mean, I've spoken about this on the show before, like patch management seems easy in theory, but still people struggle with that, whatever the reason is. So I'm curious to know, you mentioned before, like you don't have to go out and think about, oh, we've got to like leverage a sock or build our own sock or whatever it is. What, how do people sort of get to that stage, like going quite like far into the future when they haven't got the basics right? Is it that perhaps they're seeing stuff online, they're influenced by service providers or vendors or whoever it is? Like, how do people sort of think so far ahead when it's like, hey, you've actually got to think about doing the basics as to what you've just sort of said? Yeah, look, um, like I've um, mentioned already, um, there are some fundamentals of um, you know, security, which, uh, you know, things like enabling multi-factor authentication on um, all externally accessible systems. You know, they, these kind of, Fundamentals. Now, you'd be surprised how frequently we learn that that's not been deployed. Um, so, doing the basics, it doesn't necessarily to cost a lot of money. Now, clearly, you know, on occasion, there's a reason for that not occurring, you know, or um, some complexity around certain users or geographic locations that prevent certain controls being deployed. But as a general rule of thumb, getting the basics in place is critical. I mean, to answer your question, so why, why wouldn't an organization do that? You know, often case businesses are a complex beast. 
right? They, they have, you know, in many cases, bringing together of different environments, different businesses, maybe a, a merger or an acquisition. These kind of changing, constantly changing, evolving uh, landscapes and also threat landscape is constantly evolving. So, um, you know, not to downplay how hard or how easy it is to deploy security controls, which is why focusing on fewer technologies and um, you know getting the basics in place is, is really key. Yeah, it's just more so like curiosity from people like perhaps jumping the gun, like, oh, like let's do all these amazing like um, fully intense things. And it's like, okay, well, let's start, like you said, with the basics. Like it's, it's just more so uh, a curiosity as to why people would be so eager to jump the gun when it's like, well, hey, like you haven't even – you know, you've got a, what's that old saying? You've got to crawl before you can run, so to speak. Like people are trying to run like pretty quickly. And I'm just curious to know, like, where's that being influenced by? Doing the basics isn't necessarily the, not the exciting project, right? So, you know, going back and reviewing all of your firewall ports, making sure that things are locked down, making sure there's no, you know, on a consistent basis, doing all of those behaviors around cybersecurity isn't necessarily uh, the exciting part of the job. So uh, whereas rolling out new tech um, for, you know, considering most security managers and, and CISOs are uh, or were top technologists come from the tech side of, you know, the business. Uh, so, you know, that can, be a re- that can be a reason why, you know, like many people would rather focus on the project side and implementing new shiny things versus the cadence and operational side. That, you know, potentially can be where, you know, what why the gap emerges. But what we see in larger businesses and more mature businesses is that separation between project and run or operations uh, for that very reason. And then overlaid with um, a sort of governance kind of uh, uh, policing and making sure that the, um, you know, the systems maintain uh, a standard that has been set by the governance. Uh, function. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because again, like it, it's so easy to say, oh, like the basics are easy to do, but it's like, well, in reality, like a lot of people still don't get them right. So it's always a, it's always a question I like to ask people and, and hear their thoughts. So now I want to sort of get your view on, you know, we've sort of touched at a very high level about the, all the breaches that's happened in Australia, but curious to know really from your perspective, Dane, what can people learn? Uh, and I think it's illuminated that boards are going to take it seriously. People are checking their security. They're going out. They're getting cyber insurance. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to perhaps learnings that you've sort of you're sort of seeing in the market, even from, even from your perspective? You know, number one, getting the basics right, and we've covered that already. You know, whether that be implementing MFA, right, which we've seen that be what the cause of one of those breaches, uh, ensuring. Don't leave um, uh, your APIs uh, open to use is another. You know, these are relatively basic uh, security controls to have in place. Number two, I would say, is your culture. So we have a culture of us versus them, i.e. security versus software development or security versus business development. Often case um, inside a business, that culture is what drives the behavior of people to sidestep security or sidestep a process that's keeping the business safe. Um, so, you know, those conversations need to happen at, at a leadership level to make sure that 
right from the top, um, it's very clear and evident that cyber is a critical component uh, in the business. And I think these are the conversations that are being had um, right now across boards, across ELTs around the countries. Security, how do we make sure we're not the next business in the, in the headlines? And then the other is a, a more of a, a zero trust um, uh, architecture uh, and approach across the architecture and the supply chain would would be advantageous. So, you know, re-authenticate um, and assume, really assume nothing is the kind of, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of simplify the zero trust approach is to assume nothing, assume that there's no trusted communications and all access is potentially malicious. You know, if you look across the breaches that have occurred, you know, to take that view, whether that be to ask for step-up authentication on every login for critical systems or, um, you know, having some authentication for your API, you know, that, those kinds of principles are, are good um, things to take away as learnings. Um, the other is to regularly assess your security maturity. So uh, and we're not talking uh, weekly or monthly, but do, do you know where you're at? Do you know, posturally speaking, what your security maturity would be aligned to uh, a proper framework? Or if you don't, then you're probably winging it. Right? You're, you're watching problems emerge in your business, uh, be that a breach, be that a cyber incident, and you're patching, you're, you're implementing better email security controls or you're implementing better firewalls. But actually the better approach is step back, take a holistic view uh, and build a multi-year improvement roadmap that's not just looking at, you know, incidents and, you know, putting out the fire that's bright in the, uh, burning the brightest. So, yeah, th- those are probably three or four my, you know, observations and learnings that I, I've taken away here. Sure. So you said people that are winging it. Do you think most people are winging it or do you think they're sort of like crossing their fingers, closing their eyes and just hoping? Do you think there's a lot of that in there or is it less of that or what, what's your barometer on that? I think to a degree, um, many, many organisations, um, businesses are, are doing their best, doing the best to stay secure. But, you know, cyber's like a, probably 10 years ago, you walk into most businesses Sizo or security manager didn't exist. So, you know, winging it is, you know, we haven't had a choice. You know, I think there's businesses are now, you know, the amount of infrastructure managers that I've met that were transitioned to security managers overnight. Um, Now, they didn't undergo rigorous training to do that. So, you know, winging it sounds harsh, but it's, it's true. I think it's, Basically, it's a necessity to stand up and do the best that we can under the, under the circumstances. But I think that what's changing is that doing our best now requires using the tools at our disposal and a greater amount of rigor is one of those tools. And through the, you know, through maturity frameworks, like I've said many times, ISO uh, and others, and that, that that's no longer becoming an edge case kind of oh you you're you know you've taken it really seriously then with using a framework now it's become the mainstay and you know if you look at the government's response to the recent breaches 
we've seen an immediate uh, response, which was to increase the penalties relating to serious or repeated breaches, rising from uh, a fairly modest 2.2 million. You know, it wouldn't be nice if, if you were receiving that penalty, but equally probably is a rounding error for some businesses to 50 million. Does it go far enough? Well, you know, it certainly would sting for most, if not all businesses to receive that penalty. Uh, but compared to uh, penalties under other uh, legislation like GDPR, uh, where it, it's significantly higher, um, you know, this is still relatively low. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly a step in the right direction as well. Yes, you're right. I definitely think there'll be a few penalties issued uh, this year in Australia. So in addition to the government stuff that you sort of just touched on in terms of the increase of the penalties, is there anything else that you sort of expect that we can see moving forward as like for Australian businesses? Like, is there anything like you can sort of hypothesize that you think will happen as we sort of traverse into this post, uh, all these breaches that have happened that you sort of expect that should happen even like whether it's now or even in 2023, for example? Uh, We saw in the the press recently, Coles have doubled their cybersecurity budget. So any IT leader um, should be preparing a uh, board briefing, uh, sending that to the board to really say, uh, this is the state of the current cyber landscape in Australia. To respond to that, we should be looking to double down and improve our security posture to make sure you know we're not exposed or one of the next uh, unfortunate victims of cybercrime. Um, so there's going to be an increase in um, expenditure and focus in cyber. You know that's going to have a flow-on impact to you know, the skills shortage as more and more businesses look to hire cybersecurity personnel. Um, but then also, um, you know, an opportunity as well towards, um, you know, MSPs uh, and consulting firms uh, to build out more security capability to kind of augment, um, you know, whatever other services, whether that be managed IT um, or, or otherwise. Now, that's the opportunity that exists. So if you know, any of your listeners are in that space and they're not in security or they're not playing, you know, they're not able to offer a comprehensive engagement to, to their clients, that's a, a huge opportunity that they're probably missing out on at the moment. Um, and, I, you know, we, I've seen that directly myself where we've been asked to support a, a business that has a managed service provider in place. Uh, you know, the, the MSP is really not, doesn't have the skill set to, kind of comprehensively address cyber. So, you know, if you're a managed service provider, you know, go and skill up, um, you know, and make sure that you have, you know, security in your stack comprehensive way. Um, the old days of offering, you know, your security package being firewall, endpoint protection, and perhaps email security and a bit of awareness training, you know, that that's obviously, those days are behind us. And, uh, um, you know, terms like, frameworks I've mentioned, um, risk management kind of are going to become more mainstream and less exclusively the 5% or so that have uh, regulatory requirements to apply to a certain standard or or framework. Yeah, great points. Great tangible points as well for people to take away. In terms of any final thoughts or closing comments, is there anything quickly, Dane, you'd like to leave our audience with today? This rising breach and... um, the, the kind of threat vector has obviously put a lot of businesses 
on edge. Um, you know, I, I've created a few assets that I'll include the link in the um, in the comments of this blog. Um, a board briefing, which um, uh, is really a summary of all of the breaches we've seen over the past couple of uh, couple of months, um, some of the observations. So um, that, I'll, I'll happy to share that with your audience. Um, and um, outside of that, you know, always happy to help with anybody that needs to. Uh, assess their security posture, uh, check out mysizer.co and would be happy to um, take you across how that may be able to help you. Awesome. Wonderful. No, I appreciate your thoughts and your insights. And I guess like, you know, some of the questions I asked, they're not an easy answer. So I appreciate you taking the time today for coming on the show. No, you're more than welcome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media the voice of cyber.